0: Good afternoon to everybody here with us and all of you online. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the journey of faith you have taken us to thus far, wherever people are at today. God, you were very aware of it. God, your voice speaks. Man's voice cannot break the yokes that many of us have walked in here today with. Only God's voice can break the yokes. Only God's voice can truly heal. So it is the voice of God that we need to hear. It is the saturation of your presence that we long for. It is in you that we see power to change. So God, we look to you. We wait for you and we wait on you. Quarantine cannot prevent the presence of God, Lord. You are here with us. So God, we invite you here. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. We are journeying through the book of John, And uh, we've been through this uh, on this journey for several weeks. We picked back up where we were last year and we are in John chapter 12 and we're walking through this moment. Now, uh, we're going to come back to this moment later on towards Easter, but we're in this moment. Uh, of the Easter week in the text, John chapter 12. And Jesus keeps talking about one thing, and he brought it in by analogy last week, but this week he's going to be more detailed with it. He's going to talk about the manner and timing of his death. It is pretty profound that Jesus was fully aware of the manner and the timing of his own You think about when you have to go to the dentist and you think you might not get anesthesia. And if you think about pain, the pain is worse, isn't it? The more that you consider it, the more that it becomes more excruciating because your mind takes over. When you know the manner and timing of death, it bears a greater burden. It is said of those who are on death row given a penalty of their life being taken away that oftentimes they can become delusional oftentimes they can have suicidal ideations they become enraged because they know the manner and timing of their death it's called death row syndrome Uh, you're constantly thinking about the burden and the pain your life is defined by the ending of it not the fullness of it anymore it is so burdensome that the ACLU when they did a a survey and they began to study this the issue of those who are about to die on death row, the subject was called a death before dying. The pain was so burdensome. You ever think about Jesus his whole life knew he was going to die? You think about that? The Bible gives us so much detail about his death before his dying. The name Jesus in and of itself means Yahweh saves. Jesus knew that he would be the sacrifice, God's sacrifice for our sin, and this was the plan. The plan didn't go wrong, it was always the plan of God, that he would be the payment for our sins. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was young, he was in the temple talking with the teachers, and the teachers were amazed by his questions and his understanding of the answers. Jesus understood the Old Testament. Jesus understood the sacrificial system. He knew about Leviticus. Jesus understood that the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus knew full and well that every bull, that every goat, that every lamb was a symbol of him. Jesus knew. Jesus not only understood the sacrificial system, Jesus knew the Old Testament prophecies well. He knew what Daniel 9, 26 says. He knew it said, an anointed one shall be cut off. He knew what cut off meant. He knew what Zechariah twelve ten said, when they look on me on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for only a child. He knew what the piercing meant. He knew who they were looking on. He knew what Isaiah 53 was saying when it says that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He understood the piercing. He understood the crushing. Every time it was read, he knew that he was the subject. The closer Jesus got to the cross, the more he began to talk in detail about it. Now, none of us know the power of knowing our death and knowing the manner of it, but to speak of it so casually. Look at this. Look at this. Luke chapter 18. Watch this. This blow your mind. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, right? And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered up to the Gentiles, be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. After that, flogging him, they'll kill him, and on the third day he'll rise. I mean, how detail can you get? And it says but they did not understand. They they understood none of these things because it was hidden from him, but it was never hidden from Jesus. Jesus was fully aware of the manner and timing of his death. Now we're going to jump into this more into the text. How did Jesus bear the pain? The pain of being able to predict his own death. The pain of knowing the timing. Remember, this is Passover week. Week. It's his last week. While everyone is thinking, most likely this text in John 12 we're going to look like: Look at, uh, scholars say it's Wednesday. He can't stop thinking about Friday. Because Friday will be his death. How does he bear the pain of Friday? And the only way that Jesus is able to bear the burden, the weight of knowing the manner and timing of his death, the only way he understands how to deal with the pain is because Jesus was fully convinced of his purpose. Jesus knew and understood that the fullness of his purpose was to bring glory to God. It would be his death that we always talk about. The New Testament authors couldn't stop talking about it. In the book of Acts, when Peter preached his first sermon, he looked at the Jews and he says, it's y'all that did it. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul made it clear. We don't preach Christ died. He said, we preach Christ crucified. We want to clarify the manner of his death. His death is the theme of our worship. It is the theme of our ordinances. In baptism, we say, we say you have died with Christ and you are now raised with him. When we do the Lord's Supper, we say the body and the blood. When we do marriages, we say husband, you must love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We sing of his death in our worship services. Jesus knew but not only is his death making great music down here, what the Bible tells us is that uh, the sacrifice of Jesus is a bop in heaven. Look, it says, it says in Revelation 5-9, and they sang a new song. They said, oh, that's my song. You know that new song that came out. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open up its seals, for you were what? Slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and language and people. It is the subject of our worship on earth. It is the subject of our marriages. It is the subject of our ordinances. It is the subject of heavenly worship. It is the subject of our lives. He knew that his death would provide the greatest purpose. The Bible says that uh, the, what we looked at last week, that he would, a seed would go on the ground and it would bear much fruit. Guess who that fruit is? Me and you. We are the fruit of his death. And so we look at John 12, how Jesus talks about his manner. The timing is 30 AD, and if you remember earlier in John chapter 12, uh, they just finished having a dinner for Jesus. Lazarus was there, Mary and Martha was there, the disciples were there, and that's when Mary pours out this perfume. Right after that, Jesus... Remember the Jews and the Gentiles were coming to him because they've heard of all his miracles. They've heard that he's had people rise from the dead, but they've always also heard that he's fed thousands and thousands of people. They've heard of all the healings. So at this point, they are thinking to themselves, we give you all the attributes of Messiah. And from what they understood... The Messiah would have the lion lay down with the lamb. That the Roman Empire, that's, what, that's how they interpreted the text. The Roman Empire would be taken down. And we would go back to the days when it was the city of David. We'd go back to the days when Jerusalem was great. We'd make Jerusalem great again. But this Jesus is fixed on Friday. Jesus... In John 12, as I mentioned, he said, the the wheat of grain falls into the earth. John 12 and 24, if it dies, it remains alone. But Jesus, in that moment, gives an analogy of his death. He gives an allusion to his death. He he, he wets the palate to understand death. But in this next text, even though he doesn't use the word crucifix, his audience fully understood precisely what he meant. He says, John 12 and 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. (laughs) When I was growing up, we sung a song, you know, about if we lift up Jesus... And uh, it was a beautiful song taken out of context. Praise God. Because, uh, you know, you know, it was like, if I, I be lifted up on the earth, I'm dry. And then we speed it up. We're like, oh, lift him up. Crucify him. I mean, it just totally, we were totally wrong. We didn't know. So the lifting up. So why, why, why did they, they being the Jews and the Romans around him, why did they immediately know it's talking about the crucifix? Well, simply stated, when the, when the Jews wanted to kill somebody, nine times out of ten, they'd throw him down to the ground and they'd stone him. And this would happen thousands and thousands of times. And so when he used the phrase lift up, and you've got to keep the context that he just talked about the seed going in the ground and dying... That the minute he says lift it up, they understood oh, you're talking about a crucifix. You're talking about being tortured like all the villains. You're talking about being tortured like all the prisoners. You're talking about the worst of our society are crucified. You? So this leads to what they say in verse 34 We heard uh, that from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? They fully understand what lifted up meant. Who is the Son of Man? In other words, how could you be the Messiah and you do not usher in a kingdom that is forever? Who is the Son of Man? The tension of the text is their great concern with wanting him to bring about a new political regime, a new political empire. Who is the son of man? We saw the great miracles you did for others. We believe that you can take over the Roman empire. Who is the son of man then? Before they get to this moment of confusion though, Jesus says something even more confusing. In John 12, 27, after Jesus had told this incredible analogy about the seed going on the ground, right before he talks about being lifted up, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, Jesus, you've been knowing, how are you going to get scared now? You've been knowing you're going to die on Friday. Troubled. My soul is troubled. He seems to speak so confidently in Luke 18, so effortlessly in Luke 18. He seems to speak so confidently here uh, later on in this text about being lifted up so effortlessly. Why would Jesus' soul be troubled? He's God, isn't he? And if he's God, how can he be troubled? There's a book written of the stories of different martyrs. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And there's these incredible stories in there of martyrs that sung before they were killed. Martyrs that testified before they were killed. I mean, these people went to death with this kind of confidence and certainty. How are you troubled, Jesus, when martyrs seem to be so certain and calm? Even in our world, when we look on television and the crime and Scarface, he's like, you're going to take me out? Come on, come and get." You know, it's like we think the son of God, we think you should not even be fearful of death. the word troubled troubled the word there is the word that would be literally translated um in luke it it talks about in some translations that it says the angel was stirring the waters at the pool of bethesda it means to stir up but but translated in a way um that is probably more figurative, it means anguish. It means when your emotions get all balled up. You're overworked and you're, in many ways, terrified. You're overwhelmed with the impending moment. Matthew 2 and 3 When Herod heard that Jesus was born, he was troubled. Same word. In fact, Jesus, in a couple chapters later, is going to look at the disciples in the upper room when they're all concerned. He's going to say, let not your hearts be troubled. Same word. Jesus, what are you afraid of? Jesus, what are you overwhelmed by? Is Jesus troubled by the flogging that he is about to That is about to be ensued? Is he troubled by the nails that are gonna be crushed into his body? Is he troubled by the crown of thorns that are gonna be crushed into his head? Is he troubled by the crucifixion or the people spitting on him? Or how about the whipping? Is he troubled by these things? I think Jesus tells us what he was troubled by. In Matthew 27, verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, the nails. My God, my God, my side. My God, my God, the crown of thorns. My God, my God, people are spitting at me. My God, my God, the people are rejecting me. My God, my God, the pain. No, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here we get a window into his pain. His pain didn't come from death. His pain came from the rejection of his own father. There would be no angel to come and assist. There would be no voice shouting down from heaven. There would be no uh, troubling in the air. It is in this moment that the father, with whom he had been intimate with from eternity till now, has now turned his back on his son. Oh, that's what deeply troubled him, the feeling of being disowned by your father. What's happening here is not the anticipation of physical suffering, but is the anticipation of divine wrath. It is spiritual suffering. What is this wrath? What is this trouble? What is this weight? What is this death before dying? The, the trouble he felt. Well, Paul, the apostle, put it this way for whose sake? For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Representative John Lewis said there's such thing as good trouble. This is good trouble. See, I'm glad about this trouble because the Bible says that in that moment that Father was distancing himself from him, the Son, he was distancing himself from him because of me, because of my sin, because of the things that I have done, because of all my inconsistency and all of my sin was weighed on Jesus and Jesus was not intimate with sin he was intimate with the Father I, I've been intimate with sin, hallelujah I've, I've sinned good, I've, be, I've done some good sinning in my lifetime, you, I get away from sin. And I'm like I want to come back but Jesus didn't know sin And he was bearing the weight of my sin. Oh, this was good trouble, good trouble. The kind of trouble that set us free, the kind of trouble that brings healings to life. This is good trouble. I'm glad he felt that trouble because that trouble was for me and that trouble was for you. This is good trouble. And Jesus, having his father turn his back on him for us, Knew his whole life that the pain was to bear fruit for you and I. The Bible says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I believe this room is that joy. I believe our worship is that joy. I believe the fragrance, the aroma of our praise is that joy. It's how he endured the pain. He was fully convinced of his purpose. In fact, Jesus tells us this in, in John 12, 27, 28. He, go, going back to this text, he, he says, my soul is troubled in this hour. And then he says something great. He says, what shall I say? So it's kind of interesting because Jesus is having a conversation. Have you ever have a conversation with yourself? Like he's kind of, he's like, he's like, my soul is troubled. But what shall I say in this hour? You know, he's, And you just like, go ahead, Jesus, do your thing, man. He says... What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. Father, save me from this hour. Remember when Peter wanted to turn up and fight? And he and Jesus was like, I could call down angels, bro. I, I that's not, no, no, we're not doing that. But if I wanted to do that, I could do it much better than that sword. If we, I mean, we were really gonna turn things up. I got angels. That's my gang, right? He says. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember? He says, what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, my purpose is this hour. My purpose is Friday. Are you afraid? Yes. Are you going to do it? Yes. My soul, I mean, think about that. My soul is troubled, but it's my purpose. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And we don't have it here on the text, but then the Father says, I've glorified it. The Father bellows down. I want you to think for a second about Jesus being so convinced of his purpose that he was willing to endure the pain. What was his purpose He tells us. It's what we sang about. It's what Rasul mentioned. Glory. He believed his purpose. In other words, if you ask Jesus, save me. No, no, no. Listen, I'm I'm going through it. But but I know my purpose is deeper than the pain because the Father is so great and glorious. I'm here to bring the Father glory. I, I know my purpose. Oh, yeah, it's pain. Friday's coming, I know. But don't forget there's a Sunday. I know about my Sunday. You see, when I'm only thinking about Friday, I forget about my Sunday. My Sunday is coming. And we live in a Friday world. And we're always hearing about the Friday of politics and the Friday of our family and the Friday of our health. But don't you know there's a Sunday? There's a Sunday, there's a Sunday when, when the Sunday is your purpose, the Sunday is eternity, the Sunday is with the Father. You've got to make sure that even though you look, you've got to be able to look at Friday, but also look at Sunday to have your mind dwell on heavenly things. It is God's glory and you are built for glory. You can't help it. You have been manifested, shaped, and designed in such a way where you are going to reflect something. You're going to bring light to something. You're going to enjoy something, the fullness of something. Glory is what makes you ask yourself, does it matter what I do? Glory is what makes you say, is it worth it? Glory is what makes you push through the consequences. It's also what makes you wonder. Will you have a legacy? Will anybody remember me? Will I do what is what I do matters? It's what, what I do matters. And I love that Rasul brought up the imagery of glory and the heaviness, the weightiness of it. In fact, the the when you when you look at the concept of heaviness and weightiness, it actually, when you think of the word matter. It has, a very, it has a lot of symmetry to it. The idea of matter. Something being there. Something being real. Something I can hold. And that's what you asked. Is what I do matter? My wife can tell you I am not an outdoors person. To her pain. Amen. My wife loves the ocean. She loves mountains. And I love the bed. <laughs> and I am a Netflix and chill kind of husband. <clears throat> Many of our tensions have come from the fact that she'll say, what do you want to do today? And I say, please don't ask me that question. <laughs> because it's the same thing for 18 years. And then we have children who, are the same emotions on repeat. Where are we going today? Where am I going? I'm going right back into this room, praise God. (laughs) But I cannot deny the fact that when we get to that ocean and then when we look out on that ridge, that mountain, you don't have to know God to understand the beauty of God. Isn't it? I know atheists that go backpacking in Colorado because they say it's beautiful. I said, wait till you meet the artist. Have you not just been taken? haven't Haven't you been like, oh, I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm a Netflix and chill kind of guy, but sometimes I'm like, oh, and you take it all in. And when you tether your life to bring glory to a job, it just doesn't have the same effect. When you tether your life to bring glory to a family, it just doesn't have the same effect. When you tether your life to earthly things, the awe just never lasts. But when you have tethered your life to something more glorious, can leave you in awe it doesn't take away the pain it helps you endure the pain and when you know your purpose is to bring glory to god the awe-inspiring god the majestic god the beautiful god you need something bigger than a job you need god there aren't enough likes on instagram to give you the feeling of significance of knowing you're doing something for someone who's way bigger and when you get to the pain you can look at the Friday and know how oh, but Sunday's coming um, My wife and I, we um, <clears throat> we were having our first child, Faith, who's here today. Yeah. She's clearly mine. Amen. <laughs> she struggles with attention. <laughs> we had just finished watching a movie called Seven Pounds. Will Smith, two thousand eight. We went to the movie, came back. And um, we were in our first home. We were in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we got there to the house, and I had a protein shake that I had left out. Now, uh, the protein shake, when you leave it out, it looks like, you know, nasty, right? And that smell is like, they could take out whole armies with that thing, right? My wife, we walk in, she's pregnant, and we're just talking about the movie because it was, like, super deep. We had this, like, long conversation about it. And she goes, what? what's in that? Oh, that's a protein shake. She's like, it- and I was just like, oh, she just throws up. And I'm just like, no, this is our first child. So, I mean, like, and we weren't around a lot of people with kids. So I was not ready for my wife just to earl after going to see this movie. I'm just like, okay, baby, it's okay. And I'm rubbing her back. A few weeks later we go to pf chang's with some friends and i'm just telling jokes tip the waitress wah, 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 life of the party yeah having fun my wife's like ha 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 oh i'm just like oh is it the baby she's like Mm-mm. i'm like what's wrong and she goes to the bathroom and i'm just like she's probably just she's probably gotta do something in there so the couple we were with the woman's like let me go check i'm like okay my wife is just throwing up. Blah, I was throwing up, throwing up. To the point where the woman came back and would be like, she'll be a while. So I was like, okay. And, so, and then the dinner was over. It was like, y'all go ahead. I was just waiting for my wife. I got the waitress to go check it. It was that deep, right? This whole moment. We do all that. My wife's getting more pregnant. She's walking around, walking around. And I mean, she's just... I remember all the stuff she was going through. She was like, baby. I was like, oh, baby, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And then uh, the night that she said, hey, it's time to go to the hospital. We go to the hospital. And she's like, okay, you got to put on your stuff. And I'm trying to put on the, you know, it It, it made sense. When they told me to put on the scrubs, but I was putting on the scrubs all wrong and it didn't fit. And now I look crazy. And I get in there, and she's in there, and, and my wife's just like, "Oh, baby." And they got a, they got a uh, like a little partition up, right? And the doctors, the doctors ask. I mean, the doctors having all types of conversations with me. What sports games are you into? I'm like, I'm into having my baby. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, you know, we're talking, and my wife's like, "It's gonna be okay." And then all of a sudden, this little baby comes out. And when you talk about faith, do you know what we never talk about? The pain. We talk about the joy. You see, when, when you're connected to something so beautiful, something so glorious, when you're in heaven, when you're with Jesus, when he's wiping away every tear, when he's saying, well done, it's not that you won't ever look at Fridays, but it will be worth it. Wow. Yeah. Because the sufferings of this life cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed. Amen. That's good. And so, this is our lives. And some of you are in a Friday moment right now. I mean, that person at work, I mean, their job description is to work your nerve, amen? I mean, they just, right? I mean, some of you are in a Friday moment. And when you have become accustomed to just thinking about your Friday, to thinking about your Friday people and your Friday issues, you've got to connect your heart to Sunday, to glory. That's why we worship. That's why we read. That's why you registered and did all this stuff. That's why you're watching on Facebook. Because you've got to be reminded of Sunday. That's why we connect it back to everything, to marriage, to baptism, to the Lord. We connect the death of Jesus back to everything. So you know your Sunday. In other words, your Sunday is your why. And you've got to have an in-depth why to all that you do to get beyond your Friday. It is with this that Jesus tells us another benefit, another reason why he endured the pain. He says in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. When Jesus says world, he's not talking about the world, the people. The world he's talking about is a system, a system that is almost considered like an empire. The empire he was bringing down was not the Roman Empire, it was the empire of sin, it was Satan's empire. It is the system of sin that we have grown so accustomed to. That is this world system. That is the lies, the oppression, the evil motivations of the heart, the plagues, the pandemics, the painfulness of divorce, the, 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 the pain of forsaking children. That is all part of this worldly system. And this system, this crime-infested system, has a crime boss, and his name is Satan. And Satan, being the head of this system, at times called the prince of the power of the air, Satan, what Jesus told us, was dethroned at Calvary. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, through death, Jesus' death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In other words, he could do all these things, sin, lie, oppression, plagues, but his greatest move was death, and when Jesus defeats death, he dethrones Satan. And what he says here is that not only is Satan dethroned, but he's judged. So you have to understand what happens at the cross. They actually put Jesus in a courtroom and render a verdict on him. They didn't know the verdict was being rendered on Satan, that he was actually putting him in a courtroom and he was judging the world. And now the Bible says in Revelation 20 that Satan will be cast out forever into a lake of fire. And so Satan has been dethroned. He does not have the same power, but he still has the same existence. He knows that his time is limited, but he knows that his time is over in Revelation 12. It's like he's on death row. And he's upset and he's mad and he's frustrated and he wants to get at the fruit of the death. That's why you have such an in-depth Friday. You have a principality that you're after. Don't just think about people. Think about principalities. Think about structures because behind every structure of sin, there is a being. It is Satan. It is divine. You've got, you got to stop taking things so personal and start taking it spiritual. And understand that we are in a battle, but Satan does not have divine authority. For on the cross, Jesus judged the world. He cast Satan out, and now he's delusional. Now he has death row syndrome, and now he's frustrated. In every moment of obedience, every hour of worship, Every time you say, well, I'm going to register this week because I need to be in church. Praise God. I'm going to wear my mask. Every time you decide, God wins again in my life. Every time that you are saying, no, 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 I'm not going to get caught up on that Friday thinking. I'm going to get Sunday thinking. Every time you take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, his delusion and his frustration gets even worse. He cannot have you. You are possessed by the king. He cannot have you, but he wants to frustrate your life. And Jesus knew his purpose. Do you know your purpose tonight? Do you know your why? It will help you endure all pain. Heavenly Father, tonight we we call on you and we ask you, come again, just again, God. Let your fresh wind come. As we stand, let your fresh wind come. Breathe on us again, God. Revive our hearts again. Holy Spirit, I pray that we'd have a moment here tonight that we could just sit and remember my why remember the glory of God, that we'd so tether our hearts to the beauty of the Father, the grandness of the Father, the awesome wonder of the Father, that these light momentary afflictions would not define our lives, but they would refine our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.